everybody. Welcome to episode number four of Drop the Needle in the Haystack, a podcast where we, using the amazing Forgetify website, take a listen to tracks on Spotify that have, until this point, never been played. And then we uh, talk about them and try to puzzle them all out. And I'm Robbie, as I have been and will remain, and joined by my hosts, Eric and Matt. Say hello, gentlemen. Hey, everyone. How you doing? Thanks for that lovely intro, Robbie. I hope that you continue being Robbie for the rest of your days. Oh, that's very nice. So, Robbie, why don't you start us off with um, your selection for this week? I think we're all pretty excited about it. All right. So, for this week, the track, the piece is called Jim Jam Jam, with commas in there. And it's by, it's off the album, oh, and I'm going to butcher all the pronunciations, so brace yourselves. It's Gorbut Mohabet. And uh, the pianist is Milcho Leviev, and the, oh, hold on, can you click the, who's the flute, the, the, the wind player? Theodasis Basov. Thank you, Eric. Theodasis Basov. So, let's take a listen. I think you did a better job pronouncing the album name than I would have. My dumb brain just wanted to say sorbet, but okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Jim Jam, starting at 30 seconds. This is, uh, well, I should say to some context, Milcho Leviev is uh, a Bulgarian uh, pianist and composer, probably most well-known, or it seems like the, the biggest project he was involved in was uh, with Don Ellis. You might know Don Ellis had a, had a big band known for doing like crazy time signatures, 7, 8, 9, 8, and 15, 16 in uh, his kind of arrangements, and he was the pianist for that for a long time. He was also in the free jazz or the fusion group um, Flight Plan, I think it is the name of that. Uh, he's Bulgarian, and a lot of his music incorporates these uh, kind of very complicated Bulgarian folk rhythms. And you can hear sort of, especially as it gets a little later, into the solo itself. I think Matt mentioned earlier when we were listening before the show, Bartok and, and the influences of those kinds of rhythms. Uh, and it's a lot of things like... Two 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 one two or one two one two one two three one two one two one two three one two one two one two three that kind of thing, where they'll instead of like time signatures as we traditionally think of them like four 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 beats in a measure it's really like groups of long and short groups of one and two or groups of three and sort of you take just different patterns of those sometimes it's like three two 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 three things like that and you can hear that a lot especially in the flute. Well, I should say not a flute, actually. Eric, do you want to tell us a little bit about the instrument? Yeah, I, I do. I think I want to go back to the beginning and listen to the first, like, 10 seconds, just so we can get a little more context. Okay, yeah, so... Kind of a side note, the first time I heard this, uh, Robbie sent it to me earlier today, and I listened to the beginning, and I think like most people with that breathy, flute-like opening, 
you know, I was waiting for Jethro Toll to scream out Aqualung. You know, I was waiting for it. I was ready. And then, you know, we go into this, um, at that point, it's like pseudo-jazz, pseudo-folk kind of piano flute section. And I think like most people, you know, Robbie, I, I haven't played jazz since high school. Like I haven't been in any kind of combo or group or anything like that since high school. However, I remember the phrase close enough for jazz, right? You know, it's like a running gag, right? How's their intonation? Oh, it's close enough for jazz. How's the sound? Oh, it's close enough for jazz. So when I first heard this flute player, I was thinking to myself, you know, the sound is a little, little different, not exactly what I'm used to hearing. Intonation's pretty close. We're a little low at times, just not quite up to pitch. But all in all, you know, it's it's fine. Like it's it's close enough for the for the genre. And then I decided clearly the guy has chops. Technically he's good. Um, so I decided to look him up, and I discovered he's not playing a flute. Absolutely blew my mind. No, he's playing the um, Caval. I, I believe that's how you pronounce it. And the Caval is a eight uh, tone hold inblown flute that is played throughout the Balkans. So Albania, Romania, Bulgaria, uh, these, these countries. And it is primarily associated with mountain shepherds. So it's this very traditional instrument. It's got no keys on it. It is basically as far from the Western flute as a flute can basically be. For those who don't know, uh, the flute, most flutists that we hear today play what's called the transverse flute, right? Am I pronouncing that right, Matt? Yeah, the transverse flute. It's the one you blow transverse. across like a beer bottle, right? You blow yeah. across it. And uh, the key work that we're used to seeing, it was designed by Boehm, I believe. I don't know if the Germans use someone else. I mean, we're not going to get into our instrument design right now, but he designed the key work as, and he also designed the key work for the clarinet. And I think oboe, Matt, do you know if he designed I, the oboe? I feel like the the modern oboe is also the Bohm system. Yeah. So, but this, this instrument is nothing like that. And somehow this guy still convinced me that he's playing a Bohm transverse flute in not only sound quality, but in intonation as well. You know, just maybe with a little more, just not quite as rigid as what we expect for classical music, but he would definitely pass as a jazz musician under those certain circumstances. Yeah, no, and I, until Eric spoke right now, I, I or well, until we talked earlier, I mean to say, I had no idea it wasn't just a regular old flute. That's what it sounded like to me. Yeah, I think that that's really... Well, Eric, can you talk a little bit about, you've mentioned it's an inblown flute. Could you kind of go elucidate on that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, like Matt said, the flute that we're used to hearing, the transverse flute, uh, you blow across the top of the head joint. You blow across the instrument um, to create the sound, like you would blow across a beer bottle. An inblown flute is um, something more like you would expect to hear from most Eastern countries, like the Japanese pan flute, where you're, is that considered like inblown still, Matt? Yeah, basically. Yeah, um, you're, you're actually totally right. The oldest, possibly the oldest flute that has been found like a, a fossil record is actually, I believe the ney from Afghan Persian culture, perhaps. And it's, it's an, 
and blown flute. I, you mentioned he kind of holds it at a 45, not quite degree angle. Yeah, not yeah. quite pointing straight down, not quite pointing directly to the side. And it's that you're not blowing over it like a beer bottle, but this is getting very like technical about it. Yes, the pan flute falls into the same family. Yeah, um, so you're basically blowing across the end of the flute, and that is what's creating the tone. Uh, I have a little bit of experience with that because there is some contemporary clarinet music that basically turns the instrument into an inblown flute, take the mouthpiece off, and you blow into the bore at a 45-degree angle, similar to how you would play an inblown flute. It is worth noting the inblown flute is incredibly hard. To get the yeah. sound out of an end-blown flute, especially like this one, can take, like I understand, sometimes a year to get like a good presentable tone quality on this instrument. And I just want to, yeah, reiterate a little bit more, speaking from like a composer's perspective, Eric kind of did the old uh, gotcha when I had my first listen of this. He, he was like, Matt, what do you think this was? And I, of course, said it just sounds like a, a modern flute with contemporary technique because these are contemporary techniques that um, modern composers can only dream of. And it's basically like, please don't harass your flute players with beatboxing techniques unless they say they can do it. Because I think a lot of us remember back in the early days of YouTube when that viral video came out of the guy who could beatbox and play the flute. You guys remember that? Yes. Who could yeah, he's, he's a cool dude. It was a he watershed did, moment. Yeah, he did like um, <laughs> Super Mario and I think... Uh, yep, in like Central game. Park. And that, that like revolutionized kind of um, contemporary flute repertoire. I, I don't know about you, Eric, but I would, I've been cursed to hearing far too many performances of The Great Train Race by uh, Ian Clark on the flute. I've heard that many times, yeah. And it's a ton of that, that technique right at the very beginning of the piece where it's that you just think that's someone totally beatboxing across a flute. That's totally what I thought it was. But those articulations are so unique to the emblem flute that they would never have sounded that good on a modern flute, I, I think. Yeah, no, he does an excellent job of selling um, that initial technique in, in a really great way. Anyway, yeah, we've, we've sort of gone off on this, this flute tangent, but it, it just totally blew my mind the first time I heard it. Getting back to the, the actual music, Robbie, how would you kind of classify this jazz? Like this kind of genre, because it's kind of hard to place. Yeah, you uh, mentioned it was something about complexity. I came to the idea of math rock. Is there an equivalent of that for, like, jazz? Oh, I'm sure there is. There's got to be some nerds out there doing subtractions and additions and equations on their real book or whatever. But, yeah, I, I, I think I, I definitely hear that. <laughs> that the equations on their real book? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I th I see where we're coming from there, and I think it is because a lot of, uh, like we mentioned, the the rhythmic subdivisions, where it, it's kind of metric in the way that it presents the the rhythmic idea, right? It's yeah, like the two 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 two, uh, one two one two one two one two three one two one two one two one two three one two, and that's that kind of very energetic rhythm that you hear a lot of in in folk music of all kinds, but in Bulgarian music especially. There's a lot of uh, rhythmic complexity, lots of uneven, or what we would think of as uneven meters and, and long and shorts and that kind of counting. Um, and I think that sort of dovetails a little bit with the jazz tradition, where if you listen to a lot of these really complicated bebop lines or, or you know, tunes, the main ideas, to me, seem rhythmic a lot of the times. 
That's kind of uh, the main thing is just the rhythm, right? You kind of get the curvature of the melody, but you can pick it up by hearing the rhythmic phrasing. And I think a lot of that comes out in, in these folk music traditions where the main point of, well, at least certainly the melody kind of sounds like just that rhythmic idea. That kind of thing. As for what genre of jazz, that's a good question. I don't know how you would phrase it necessarily. He does improvise later. There's elements of this sort of, you know, fusion and, and uh, things like that because he was a jazz pianist and all. But I, I would say maybe it's it's like world music. You might, if you wanted to pick a genre, world music. Sure. Yeah, that makes or, sense. That makes uh, sense. But definitely it has an improvisational bent to it because they are taking solos and stuff, but... I just want to comment also on like I had no idea where this was going. If you listen to the intro until the piano really settles into its solo, uh, I had no idea like what I was in for, and then it completely threw me for a loop. Once the piano did start kind of like going off on its own and doing its own thing, hmm. um, to talk a little more about like the folk elements, I just want to draw some parallels, maybe also to like some late classical. Also, um, you mentioned this is a Bulgarian group. My first thoughts were, I think I mentioned Bartok. Uh, he was doing more stuff with Hungarian rhythms, but it's, a, I think, a similar reason if, region, if I'm not casting too wide of a net there. And again, there was these kind of fives and seven rhythmic groupings. And when you analyze Bartok, it's good to go for the, the two, two, three, two, 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 three kind of analysis. And then I also started thinking of uh, Ligeti. Are you familiar oh, yeah. with um, the Ligeti uh, Musica Ricciacare? I can't, I probably am pronouncing oh, it wrong. Yeah, the, the, the R something. It's like it adds one note each time, yeah? Yeah, yeah. That's entirely rhythmic focused, especially when he's only using like one note for the first part. Hmm. And also maybe a little bit of um, Crumb, because George Crumb loved Bartok so much. All right, let's move on to the next one. Um, this is yours, right, Eric? Yes, um, and I could find literally nothing about it. <laughs> yeah, so so folks, this is Lonely Man, Denim Dan. I did some research. I I can find nothing out about Lonely Man, Denim Dan. While we listen to the first 30 seconds, I'll double check and make sure there's nothing obvious that I missed. But why don't we jump right into it? Lonely Man, Denim Dan, the big town all alone. Get picked up by Peggy Sue by a public. There's only Man Denim Dan, and no, I I can't find anything out about him. There is a YouTube video of this track. Is it like a music video of the Denim? It's not. I, no, it's just it's just YouTube auto generated. Yeah, YouTube auto generated. You Google Lonely Man Denim Dan, and the artist Denim Dan Dan comes up, and we see um, that famous picture of uh, I think it's Justin Timberlake in full denim tuxedo so i don't i really don't know how that applies i think denim dan has more than one album on spotify can you go to the track for a second man anyway so if you couldn't gather from the <laughs> yeah so we've got no lies in blue skies and it was published in 2018 
So you'd, you'd think we'd be able to find something else out about Denim Dan, but literally I can't find anything. It if if like someone else wants to, to Google, maybe it's, maybe it's me. Maybe yeah, I'm it bad. It might be Eric. Eric's the world's dumbest man. That's part of the it, podcast lore. It, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I am the world's dumbest man, folks. Um, so if you couldn't gather from the song, it is about a man picking up a prostitute so that he can find uh, at least temporary love. Uh, they're pretty pretty explicit about that story. Denim Dan has a nice, low, deep voice. I don't, I don't know what you would call that. Maybe like folk rock kind of feeling. Pseudo. Well, you and, know what it reminded uh, me of when it uh, picked up into that, that new section, right? Changed, changed the rhythm there. Was the uh, Don't Fear the Reaper, the Blue Oyster Cult number. Oh, okay. Yeah. You guys know that one? I do know that one. I, I remember, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I was thinking more of um, Freebird. Not to okay, yeah. make a dumb joke, but something about that, uh, I think it's a metric modulation. Something about the metric modulation just made me think of when it, it changes in Freebird, like, I don't know, five minutes into the song or something like right, that. Right, into the, the solo picked up there. No, I was just about to say, I'm not sure what's going on with that modulation, what the end result is. Um, to me, it feels like one of those modulations where he is frantically nodding at the person he's singing with, like to make sure that they're staying in time with him. The guitar, um, I don't know, filter, the guitar sound actually yeah. is just so evocative of uh, Leonard Skinner. And I like the, yeah, the parallel to Blue Oyster Cult. That's a nice, that's a nice reference for our listeners at home there, Robbie. Of course, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> so you think this song is um, autobiographical? I mean, it is by the artist Denim Dan, and he is calling it Lonely Man Denim Dan here. You know, I, I funnily, yeah, funny enough, I didn't even consider that. It, I guess it could be, couldn't it? It's a really nice voice, actually. Yeah. It suits the medium very well, and I like the, I don't know, vocal technique of when he says, Lonely Man, like he, that's a, the that's scoop. a big scoop into Lonely Man. You know, there's yeah. something really nice about that. It's again, that's like a style trope, right? That's mm. like a hallmark of the genre. Yeah. Right. Very kind of influenced by, uh, like, probably the way he speaks. Yeah. Just, uh, I thought I found it, but it's a different band. A yeah. Different see, band this is band. what I'm talking about. It's it's hard. He's a he's an enigma. He's a he's mystery. Not, uh, not Steely Dan. Not Dirty Dan. He's Denim Dan. Denim Dan. <laughs> The third horseman of the apocalypse. Of the Dan apocalypse. <laughs> the third Dan. Of the Dan. Yeah. The, the his, Dan times. His coming was foretold by the prophecies. <laughs> um, Eric, do you have any Nostradamus. Yes. <laughs> That's a good one, right? How's that for Joe? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I'll give it to you. Thank we got you. jokes, folks. Um, you get one Dan dollar. Eric, can you kind of give us a spoiler for like the end of, of this song, Lonely Man Denim Dan? That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, how's it end? Yeah, Eric, did you listen this to is, the uh, this was This was on my backlog. I did listen to the whole thing, but honestly... Oh, really? Because uh, it sounds like maybe you didn't. I, I can't remember how it ends. Eric? I truly can't remember. I'm sorry, folks. I have, I have a whole vault of these of these songs that Forgetify spits out at us. And uh, this one's from a couple weeks ago. Yeah, Eric is just like General Grievous collecting collecting more and more <laughs> right in a big in a big robe and cloak he keeps them but i feel like this is a this is another one of those concept albums if i just had to guess kind of like 
you know, it's called Your Foreign Town. And if you look at the titles here, right, it's kind of evocative of that, that storytelling kind of concept album, just from speculation. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it does certainly have a, kind of a theme going on it. Let's dig into the lore of Lonely Man Denim Dan. So you've got Lost in a Dream is the track preceding, preceding Lonely Man Denim Dan. Right. And then Lonely Man Denim Dan. Right. And then after Lonely Man Denim Dan, you get Girl, You Come and Go. Ooh. I guess the girl left at the end of the song. And then came back. And then came back again. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. seems, it, it all seems to be kind of sticking to the genre, you know, like, uh, go where life leads you. That that could totally be like a Leonard Skinner or a Blue Oyster Cult song. Definitely. It's all like kind of about feeling alienated. Yeah. Just kind of maybe, you know, being in a foreign town. Lost in the world. I hope that Lonely Man Denim Dan is doing well wherever he is. Again, uh, this is always an open invite. Lonely Man Denim Dan, if you're ever uh, listening to our podcast and you want to be on the show, just let us know. We'll be happy to have you. Please, yeah. Denim Dan, please. We'll yeah. all get we... like, denim jackets also. That would be awesome. I would love any excuse to pull out my denim jacket. Oh, that's Eric has enough for all of us. <laughs> he does. I've seen it. Yeah, anyway, it was a cool track. Yeah, you want to take it away matt with your yeah, so, uh, your I, I guess i was inspired by last week's kind of um we had how come my dog don't bark a bit of a spoken word comedic track on uh, last week's episode and the forgotify gods blessed me with this gem uh, it's called i don't like your hat it's by the group not amused from their album kill yourself dancing uh, <laughs> it's a very close centric episode so so similar to uh <laughs> So similar to um, Eric here, I couldn't find much out about our artists not amused. They have a Facebook page that seems to have been updated uh, maybe like a year ago, but again, kind of just more like record keeping stuff. Album actually came out in 2012, I believe. They seem to be a group based out of Queens, New York, which isn't what I was expecting based off of the um, the accent. But wow, I would not have believed that. I'll go ahead and uh, play it at, I think, I'm dropping it right in at 2.12. This is a very important timestamp. Why, 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 why do we get? What do we do with all this spend? Change your laugh, change your clothes, change your way, because no one knows ears, mouth, head. What do we do? Why do we care? Because, well, I don't like your act. So I really, again, just, I didn't really know what to make of this. It kind of reminds me of those, uh, you guys were all around for the ska craze. Did you have like a ska craze during like your high school years where people just were really- Oh yeah, we had the ska craze. uh, (laughs) It decimated my class. (laughs) Real Big Fish, Streetlight Manifesto. You guys remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least Real Big Fish. That's like the ensemble that uh, this kind of reminds me of. You know, you've got a definite little- saxophone riff going on and the uh, trumpet very minimalist uh, drum kit beat happening but i think we all need to talk about the words i think we all need to talk about the the singing and the style of singing here this wheatley-esque from portal i don't remember the name of the voice actor portal 2 it's, wheatley oh it's uh, uh oh i know that's uh never mind cut it cut he this also out. sounds I'm like a, this out. 
sounds like um Bilbo Baggins from The Hobbit. Is that Martin Freeman? Is yes. that his name? Stephen yeah. Merchant! Stephen Merchant is the guy who plays <laughs> Wheatley's name. Uh, sorry. Look at this nerd. <laughs> I don't know if it's an authentic accent because they're from Queens, or maybe they're doing like a parodied accent, but seeing as there's another song on this album called You're a Wanker, I'm gonna assume it's an authentic accent. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that. Like, is this some kind of character, like some cockney, grime-soaked fella they're pretending to be? Cause... I, I think it's authentic because use of the word wanker, you've gotta, you've gotta earn that by region um, right. Mm. So what, what are your guys' thoughts on, on this little ditty? here i uh i absolutely love that little trumpet lick at the end right after i don't like your hat um that that got me but the style of singing um is reminiscent something of something that i just can't put my finger on this kind of dialoguing that he's doing a little bit a little bit but not enough to probably reference it. Yeah, I'm not sure. You hear this kind of dialoguing in other music, but I'm trying to place what genres you might really hear it in. Maybe like some occasional upbeat hip hop. I think this or, is just listed as like um. I think it's called. I mean, this is like dance music, you know. Yeah. Funk music. Really, this is listed as funk. Yeah. Robbie, what are you? What are you thinking? Wow, that's a that's a dangerous question. Uh. Well, I agree with Eric. I like all the the horn lines and everything, and I like the the stripped down kind of aesthetic you were going through. Simple drum kind of pattern, kind of sounds like it's uh, held together by like twine. You know what I mean? And I mean that as a compliment. Yeah. Uh, and I think punk is a good way of maybe certainly at least the attitude and the the album cover is a good descriptor of it. <laughs> Oh yes, you know, we'll have to include the album cover in the Instagram post again. Uh, can we? Are we allowed to do? Maybe we need to. Like, I'm not sure we're allowed to include this album yeah. cover in the Instagram it's post. Hot. It's too hot from for Instagram, everybody. So subscribe to our OnlyFans, and we'll post all the dirty <laughs> album covers there that we find. Maybe, maybe we can like tile mosaic censor this one. I don't know. Put more balloons. Yeah, yeah, we can put another balloon on it. Just musically, I like that this this song again. The the music serves the narrative here kind of like with our um how come my dog don't bark where the static progression was just kind of there to give the lyric something to just like sit on top of like a, a bed to just elaborate on why they don't like their hat mm. it's just this weird little like alternating back and forth between like a it sounds like a minor one going back and forth between like a diminished seven i think the it's it just sounds like a guy having a rhetorical fight with himself as to like why to have a pointless fight like oh yeah i don't like your hat right you know yeah i can't remember if there's like a a drop beat or how he pauses it but i love the kind of like beat drop you get when he goes i don't like your hat it takes that you long know? to get to it too that's the thing yeah. is you're waiting this whole time listening to this guy have it's clearly just himself using a higher voice and then like a i don't think it's chorus i think he recorded himself two or three times in the lower voice like <laughs> retorting to himself <laughs> and um like you know what i mean it's not like a chorusing effect right robbie right. it takes until like two minutes 30 seconds to finally get to like the duh, 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 duh. i don't like your hat yeah that's the thing with a good uh with a good title right it's kind of like like we talked about with how come my dog don't bark and even earlier ancient history back in our power ballad episode it's like if you can get a line that's like i'm waiting for this person to say this thing 
then everything that leads up to that, it's like, oh, this is setting up saying this one word they've already put in the title. Yeah, it's like when you're watching a movie and you're waiting for them to say the title of the movie. Right, right exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I... Chekhov's hat. I just don't... I don't know, like, what was the inspiration for this song? Was it just this guy came up with this, this again, this, like, hypothetical fight? In his, or is, is he trying to tell us something about where he's from, what the people are like there, you know? The hook came first, man. You know, he thought of the hook, and he's like, I gotta build, I gotta build this song around I don't like your hat. So that's the story. I want to know I, what I would give to be a fly on the wall of the room to the guy or lady to whom he said, I don't like your hat, because that's where this was born. I'm convinced. This was a real argument he had, and he decided to base his song around it. Again, it's just such a shame we probably can't include this cover album, because the, the album art is... Um, you can look it up yourselves, folks, or go, go to our playlist on Spotify that we now have um, readily available. That's right. It is Speaking Drop of, yeah. the Needle on the Haystack. That's right. Speaking of this playlist, you gotta get on this playlist. It's the wildest shit you'll ever see and you can look at the algorithm like short circuit as it tries to recommend you more songs in some manner of a theme it's pretty good <laughs> i think that might be a good idea later on we just try and even go through what the, the spotify algorithm is trying to come up with for us and recommended songs that's a good idea yeah i thought you know the it's a shame we didn't we didn't have that much background information for our last two artists but the storytelling is on point so the lore is getting fortunately now. right yeah that's the thing it's always like well you know there's a whole class of it that's like old older musicians or like kind of niche genre stuff and then there's these people that like they have albums like maybe two or three albums and then there's just you can't find anything about who it is or you know what they're up to now or like nothing at all but like it just yeah. sprung up out of the ground i think it's worth talking about because that's kind of how we talked about what our expectations were for this this podcast and you know what is this for godify app going to like send us i assumed it would mostly be stuff like this you know little productions maybe smaller productions where they just don't have like the pr they don't have the big break something like this and yes that is what we're finding but i don't know about you guys but i got an absurd amount of like actually just classical music this week, like unlistened to classical music and right. a weird amount of like polkas, which I know is ironic given what you showed us, Eric, in yeah. the suggestions, but like specifically polkas. And I don't mean what you showed us. I mean like, you know, the guys in later Hosen with the accordions polkas. Mm. We should, uh, we should bring one of those on the show. My dad is in a polka band. Okay. So I have, he is leader Hosen and all, um, so I could have a lot to talk about to break these polka down. Oh, um, <laughs> Am I allowed to swear on the podcast? I guess well, you already know. have like twice, I, so, I, I, you know. Yeah, I guess I'm editing it, so it's up to me. <laughs> yeah, no, good selections. Okay, why don't we uh, transition into our segment where we talk about what we're listening to this week. Matt, why don't you take the helm today? Oh, no. Um... What have I been listening to this week? Well, I have to do some homework for an upcoming gig. Hmm. On, I'm, I'm, I guess this is cross promotion. I don't know. I'm, I'm delivering a lecture recital on traditional Korean music. So I've been doing Ooh. my homework and trying to listen to some more uh, 
historically authentic performances of Korean music. So a lot of singing in a very different tradition than we're used to. Uh, I honestly don't have any recommendations because they're so niche, but um, yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing. Very cool. When is that, uh, when's that presentation? How long have you got? Uh, it's on October 15th. It'll be through the Maryland Libraries. I don't know what like the official title is. And it's going to be like 7 p.m. on October 15th. All right, I'll put it in my calendar. Hopefully you've got more information for us the closer we get. It should be live streamed somewhere, right? It will be live streamed, so I'll have the link available somewhere. Well, we'll get more information, and maybe some of our listeners can tune into that. Robbie, what have you been listening to this week? Well, for this week, Eric, I'd like to take us back to to the the year, the late 60s. The, <laughs> the year of the late 60s? The place, let me finish, the place, uh, high school in Palo Alto, California. That's oh, right, wow. folks. I would have never thought in my life I would get to see uh, a new Thelonious Monk album released. But lo and behold, in the summer or in the late 60s time, Thelonious Monk played at a high school in Palo Alto. Uh, and somebody recorded the dang thing, and it's been just sitting around until this very year. And I know there you know, was some kind of trouble getting the release at first, but it's out. It's good. And uh, that's what I've been listening to. It's uh, it's good. It's good. It's, I mean, it sounds a lot like well, as you would expect the the albums and the other live recordings from around that time period. But you know, it's all good music, and it, it, you know, uh, it's always just great to have more of one of the the greats. You know, one of the giants. Just this recording, and it's pretty good recording quality too. So it's worth listening to. No, that's awesome. It's awesome that they rediscovered that and. And actually got it into the the public's ears, right? You know, because I it, you always wonder how many of those old tracks, especially from that time period, are just laying around in some guy's basement or some right. studio's basement, and will never see the light of day. Um, maybe fortunately for some artists, but unfortunately for a lot of them, you know. Um, very interesting. I'll have to. What's the what's the title they put on it? I'll have uh, I think to check it's it out. called uh, Palo Alto. Uh, so Thelonious Monk okay. Palo Alto is, is sort of, I think, what they're going with there. But definitely worth listening to if you're a fan. Very cool. All right. Hey, and so um, the clarinet stuff. Uh, I got no clarinet stuff. Actually, that's a lie. But <laughs> I don't have entirely clarinet stuff. So I've been listening last couple weeks to Jorg Vidman. Um, he is a clarinetist and composer. He was in residence, I believe, at Carnegie Hall this past season, like one of the composers in residence. I really like his clarinet music. It's very contemporary, but I think he does things with the instrument that no one's really explored yet. Uh, you've got a lot of multiphonics, um, quarter tones, that kind of stuff. So you, you kind of have to be into that kind of stuff. But he also mixes it with a very romantic language. So it's interesting to see these very modern techniques applied to what would otherwise be considered like neo-romantic music. So I've been listening to a couple of albums that are not of his music, just him playing some of the standard repertoire um, because he just released them. I think the Weber um, Concerti and Quintet. And he also released full album of the Brahms Sonatas. And his interpretation is always very interesting and different and I think that comes from him being uh, this 
really prolific and well-regarded composer. But uh, I also listened to Jacqueline Dupre's um, Elgar Concerto this this week. And if you have not heard that concerto before, uh, or specifically her recording of that concerto before, after you listen to it, I've heard that there's no going back to any other recordings. I mean, it's it's a monumental recording. It's unbelievable. What a talent. And her story, of course, is, is quite sad, but the, the world gained some absolutely incredible art um, from her being on it. Anyway, I think that's all we got for everyone, folks. It was a nice haul this week between um, Lonely Man Denim, ha- Denim Dan and I Don't Like Your Hat. I like the, the theme of this week. I don't really know what it was, but I like it. It's got a good energy to it, a good vibe. Good vibes only. Yeah, you got to get this playlist and put it on in the next party. Uh, Well, wait to have parties because there's a pandemic. But theoretically, at a future party, you might have. So the first party that you have after pandemic, play this playlist and lose all the friends that you've been missing so terribly during social distancing. (laughs) I got weird in quarantine. Check it out. I'm a weirdo now. Check out my playlist. Uh, well, be sure to, speaking of being a weirdo and checking out our playlist, be sure to, uh, follow us on all our social medias. We're at Drop Haystack on Twitter and Drop the Needle in the Haystack on Instagram and Facebook. And you can follow us there and and we'll keep you up to date. Like and subscribe and comment and all that kind of thing. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you next week. Oh, my God. Do it again. I kept interrupting you. Our famous sign-off. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you next week. Okay, can we get that one more time? But this time, I want to feel the happiness bubbling from within. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you next week. I just got to get a few to work with.